Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. And we'll do a round of the 10k toy giveaway this morning around about half past 10. Yes, I will warn you again. We're always good for the first couple of days telling you when we're going to do it. We'll do the first, do another one on day one around about half past 10. All right. Keep an eye out for that. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. The email for the show is opinion at 96fm.ie. What was going on Saturday night downtown? I started to get videos and clips and texts and emails and photographs ah, from about 5 o'clock on Saturday evening and it wasn't exactly a nice evening it was a horrible old evening and yet people gathered in their dozens and in their hundreds down on the Grand Parade down on the Peace Park on the steps of the courthouse in Washington Street outside pubs around Dawn Square and then I realised hang on a second under the restrictions as we have at the moment pubs can give out pints to take away that wasn't the case during the first lockdown, all of the wet pubs, unless you were, all the pubs were closed in the first lockdown. And then when the pubs came back, it was only the restaurant style pubs. And even then, there was a, a bit of a problem with takeaway pints. But now, for some inexplicable reason, under level five legislation or level five restrictions, call them what you will, all of the pubs can give out takeaway pints if they want to. Now, they're not all doing it, to be fair to them. They're not all doing it, but loads of them are. And on Saturday night, this huge crowd gathered, particularly down by the Peace Park, but I'm not going to isolate any one area because there was a lot of them there. I'm not going to isolate or name any one pub, although I will talk to a publican later who was selling points on Saturday night. Entitled to do so. Entitled to do so. But the problem is you're not entitled to drink in the street. We have a bylaw on drinking in the street that goes back to the late 1990s. Now, it's not the law of the land. A lot of people were saying, and I thought it was the law of the land, but look a little bit deeper into it. It isn't the law of the land. It's a local bylaw of Cork City Council that you're not allowed to drink in the street. To to, to do what was happening Saturday night, for example, to get a point out of any particular pub at all and walk out and sit in the streets, sit on the edge of the Berwick Fountain, or sit on a seat in, in wherever. That's actually an offence under local bylaws since 1997. Councillor Des Cahill, good morning to you, Des. I am correct in that, aren't I? There, there is a bylaw there since 1997 that anybody with a pint in their hand in the street last Saturday night was breaking the law. Yeah, you're correct. There is a bylaw. Um, and uh, it, it, I suppose it was never envisaged that this would be uh, needed in this case. Um, so it's it's difficult to, um, you know, it's difficult to understand why people would want to do it. As he said, it was quite a miserable night on, on Saturday night, but it was also happening Friday. This, you know, Saturday wasn't the start of it. I'd heard about instances like this during the day on Saturday about Friday. Um, so when, the, when I saw those videos and so on and so forth, it was like, okay, this is what's happening. So it, it's... Um, but, but I, you know, the public has to act responsibly is the principal thing here. Um, what I'm worried about is we read yesterday in the papers that Donegal might have to stay at level five for a bit longer because of their, their numbers. Yeah. And, you know, we were in a bad space here three weeks ago, two weeks ago, and in the last fortnight, a lot of progress has been made. 
But if we go back to where we were, I don't want Cork to be then put into the same position as Donegal and all of us are in lockdown for longer because of instances like this. Well, I'm looking at the numbers and I'll go through them in more detail in, in a, a little while. I haven't done the numbers on the show in a week or a week and a half, but I, I did them for this morning. And Cork is actually in quite a promising place at the moment. Yes, I mean, I, I would track the numbers like most people would, I think, out of curiosity as well. But, you know, I think we both agree we were in a very bad spot three weeks ago and two weeks ago. It has improved uh, day on day, but it's improved because of lockdown, because of the vast majority of people are taking heed of the warnings and, and taking the advice that is that has been given. Mm. I, could I give one example? I thought the BlackRock market reopened yesterday, PJ. Yes. And it had closed for a number of weeks because of crowds. And I worked with them and they reduced the amount of stallholders, increased signage, increased barriers, had people there in high biz. And unfortunately, the numbers still got a little bit out of control at a certain point. So they're actually not going to proceed with it again. Yeah. So, you know, when, when places, and I've known that pubs are the same, when people put in uh, rules of how we can cope with this, it's up to the public to actually, you know, agree with this and act accordingly. And, and it, it, that just wasn't an, an, an evidence on Saturday night. Come back to the, yeah, Saturday night and the statement from Gardaí, which, which I found bizarre, to be quite honest with you. It, 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 said, it said that they found no restrictions. They found no breach of restrictions taking place. Now, there might not necessarily have been a breach of COVID-19 restrictions because it wasn't an organised gathering. It just happened to happen. But there was a very clear breach of a 20-something-year-old bylaw. Correct. I'm at a loss as well because I I heard the same that, you know, the police were called, but reported that there was no breaches actually in place. And I was confused myself by that. I don't understand that. I think I'd probably have to hear from the Gardaí how how that... what that means. Now there was a very severe assault down there and we hope that young woman is okay and there were a couple of arrests and it's kind of separate to this kind of separate but you'd you'd, you'd think that they might have been breaking up the the gathering a little bit earlier on but that's a question isn't it and I think you as as a local councillor Des should be in a position now to pick up the telephone to whatever assistant commissioner happens to be at the end of it and say, come here, we have bylaws in place. Why were there hundreds of people drinking pints in the streets on Saturday night? And you said there were no breaches of anything going on. Yeah, I suppose it is a call that I, I make. I mean, I am a member of the, the core group that, you know, the city centre group with that it, all the different groupings of law, transport, entertainment, council are together once a month. Um, this hadn't come up previously, instances like this, because they hadn't really been been relevant. So, um, certainly I'll, I'll be putting calls in and we have our budget meeting tonight so maybe in advance of that the, the chief exec might give us a, a, you know, a five minute brief of what, what happened and what's going to happen in the future Yeah. Now I guess you also have to look at it from the other side Des and I, I'm willing to take calls on this at 1857 there was an awful lot of people saying yes look let them alone they're young people they're going stir crazy they have cabin fever for being locked up with nothing open, nothing to do. Loads of them lost their jobs. They, for the sake of their sanity, they need to get out uh, now and again. Is there any... Does that argument cut any mustard with you? Well, I start to understand it. I mean, we're all climbing the walls, but we have to stay the course. I mean, even in my own house, 
you know, we're all going for walks, we're all doing this, we're all doing that. But, you know, frankly, you know, it's a tedious, they're tedious weeks. You know, we, we have work to do. Luckily, those who don't work, it must be doubly hard. Um, I completely agree because I'm, you know, at, at times, you know, I'll turn on the radio at home and, um, you know, have a dance in the kitchen because I'm demented that I can't go out and I can't meet my friends. So everyone, I think, is in the same position. But, you know, this is a matter of staying the course. You know, this has been set for four to six weeks. We know that it works when people adhere to it. Um, it's not a small sacrifice. It's not a big sacrifice, frankly, to have to make. It's ironic, I suppose, when we're at our centenary of celebrations, but people are, are lauding what happened 100 years ago and people's convictions. And we're being asked as a society to do certain things that restrict our enjoyment for the greater good, and people are struggling with that. I would think back, Think back to bigger instances in history where yeah. societies have to get together and, and deal with stuff. Where, yeah. frankly, not not everyone is dealing with this in the way they should. If the guards are saying there were no breaches of the COVID-19 regulations, though, are we all possibly worrying too much about very little? No. I mean, there doesn't have to be a law for common sense. There doesn't have to be a law. I mean, it's very clear what the guidelines are. If anyone's saying, technically, I didn't break the law, so I'm going to do this regardless, that's just extremely selfish and it shouldn't be tolerated. It shouldn't be tolerated by that. We all have to, if we're meeting other people, people in those groups need to say to their friends, hang on, we shouldn't actually be doing this. Yeah. You know, to say you have to have an absolute law for absolutely everything, I, 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 don't, you know, I don't agree with that. It's like people are on to me an awful lot about yellow lines. And everyone knows you can't park on a corner. So not every corner has a yellow line. And then some people decide, I'm going to park in that corner because there's no yellow line. You know, it's the same kind of strange logic that people have, unless I'm specifically told I can't do something I want, I'm going to do it, where they really know deep down and they really know the the spirit of what's going on that they shouldn't. So I don't accept that. Is it a strange quirk in the restrictions, though, that pubs can legitimately sell trays of plastic points as they were over the weekend, not one but many of them, sell points out the ga- out out the window on plastic trays. It seems to be a strange quirk in the, in the restrictions. Does that need to be looked at? Well, I think it also needs to be looked at. I think the first I saw that I was queuing up for chips and Denny's and Ballylock, and I saw people coming out with trays a few months ago from the Silver Key, and I thought, what's going on? They were walking over to their houses and so on. So That's right. But I had never... I was going... I saw somebody who might drink stout. I was going, why would you, could you possibly walk 500 yards with a pint of stout? I didn't see the logic to it. But it was the first I saw of it. Um, and I think that was the spirit of it, that people could do it in that manner. If you're buying food, you can buy a round yeah. of drink with the food. Yeah, that was okay. Yeah. And that, 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 was, and that was the spirit of it. So again, I think this has just been taken to the nth degree, where that's not where it was intended to go. And that's possibly what the guardian mean by no offence. But I think we all know buying a beer, and I suppose it should be said as well, I don't think for any, any I don't think for a second that all of those people we saw in those shots bought takeaway drink from the pubs I think maybe a reasonable proportion of them probably had them in their knapsacks Zoom so in, zoom in to the photographs if you can get some very good photographs you'll see people with cans as well there was off-license yeah, exactly. drink in there too It wasn't, in fairness it wasn't all coming from the pubs in fact one person was saying he was quite amused by the fact that someone would pay 6 euro for a plastic pint when he could go across to the off-license and get 5 of them Yeah, so that's, you know, so I, I don't want for a second to tarnish all the, the blame the, 
the pubs because I, I suspect there was an awful lot of takeaway drink there separate to that. But, you know, I suppose the difficulty now is that people have to say, OK, as a consequence of us being able to sell this and in in, in, with all the good intentions, if the consequences gatherings like this near our establishment, we need, we, we need to question if we're going to continue to sell it. I think that's a question some of the publicans will have to have this morning, which is very unfortunate because they're only selling because they, there's an absolute need financially for them to survive. Yeah. And for people to take advantage of it in, in a way like this, it's bad for everyone, most particularly the publicans. So you're going to try and bring this up finally, Des, at the council. I know it's, it's budget meeting tonight, isn't it? You're going to try and bring it up, though, first, are you? Well, I think rather than a debate, because, as you know, Peter, we're limited to less than two hours in the chamber and we're, we're kind of time-framed. How are you going to do a budget in two hours? Well, I suppose what we've done is we've had, uh, we've never had as many pre-budgets as, uh, uh, as we've had for this budget. So there's actually no amendments coming to the floor tonight, bar one that has been in and writing and already discussed. Um, we'll rotate uh, the time speaking and we'll have to be very strict with you know, I think there's in the region of over a dozen votes, allowing five minutes per vote. You know, we have to say, right, speaking has stopped, we're going to voting now because there's only an hour left and you stick to it. So the chair will be in a tough position. But I think what I might ask is that the chief exec might give a very brief statement in relation to the weekend before the budget. And as they would say, just for noting. So it won't be a debate. It might be just for information right. only. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see where it goes. Thanks very much. That's uh, Councillor Des Cahill. Budget night tonight in, in City Hall. Trying to do a budget in two hours. I remember being in covering budgets in City Hall and you'd be waiting for the smell of Dino Dino's chips to come up the stairs at quarter to one in the morning trying to get out of the place. Been there since half past five. How they're going to do it in two hours, God alone knows. But there certainly was a law being broken Saturday night. Why didn't the guards enforce that law yes the law of the land itself has no reference to the legality or illegality of drinking a pint in the Peace Park at 10 o'clock or anywhere at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night sitting on the steps of the courthouse with a pint in your hand is not illegal under the law of the land but it is illegal under a Cork City Council bylaw since the 90s so why wasn't that enforced and why if that bylaw was being broken right, left and centre Saturday night, why did the guards say that no breaches of regulations were detected? 1850-715-996. Are the chances of transmission low as they're outside in the fresh air? Like the kids in the schoolyards don't have to wear their masks at lunch? Just a question. Yes, absolutely the chance of transmission is much lower when you're outside in the open air. It absolutely is. We know this from the science. But still, why would you take the chance? PJ, can you tell me how the guards can say no breaches were, were there? Are they afraid to act on people drinking outdoors? Street drinking is an offence, but Gardaí and Cork tell us there was no breach. That's a joke. Well, it's a defence under a local bylaw. It's not an offence under the law of the land. Some pubs are jo- turning it into a joke. And while people can drink on the street, these pubs will keep serving. They wouldn't get away with this in any other country, like Spain. Why are we leaving this happen now, especially at lockdown? Collis says it was the same in South William Street in Dublin during the weekend. I hope to God they're not going to ruin our Christmas for the rest of us who are being compliant. Hi, PJ. If there's bylaws prohibiting drinking in the public place, why didn't Gaddy act on those bylaws? That's the problem with this country. The guards are too lax in situations like this. It wouldn't happen in Spain 
or France. PJ, that's the bylaw that people on CIT and UCC try and enact for the unofficial Christmas Day and Rag Week. It is. It is. Let me just, there was something I want, oh, yeah. 75 euro. You can be fined 75 euro for being in breach of the bylaw. So why wasn't it enforced on Saturday night? 1850-715-996. I want to do the numbers for Cork and I want to talk to Professor Anthony Staines to see where we are. I'm going to ask him what he thinks of the scenes in the street, but also he's concerned about the testing and the tracing, that we're not doing it right yet. We could be doing it a lot better, but we're not doing it right just yet. If we don't get our act together with testing and tracing, we're kind of half wasting our time with what we're doing right now. 1850 715 The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Helping the homeless has never been more important. The Briar Rose and Douglas are proud to be lending a hand through their Reach Out to Another campaign. On the last Sunday of every month in the run-up to Christmas, they'll be hosting a collection point outside the Briar Rose and are asking people within five kilometres of the venue to donate sandwiches, crisps, fruit and other snacks, as well as warm winter clothes in good condition for both men and women. The collection will be taking place between midday and four on Sunday the 29th of November. Staff members from the Briar Rose will be volunteering their time to run the collection point and hand out the donations the next day on Oliver Plunkett Street outside the GPO. For more information, search for the Briar Rose Douglas on Facebook and Instagram. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, I guess it's worth double clarifying the, the, the legal situation. Drinking, is, I'm reading here directly from the Citizens Information website, which is a very good website to use if you want to check what's in the law without going through wakes and rakes and rakes of statute. Drinking outdoors is not permitted in general. However, many city and county... Not prohibited, beg your pardon. Drinking outdoors is not prohibited in general. However, many city and county councils have bylaws that forbid drinking in some or all public places. places. The Gadi can confiscate alcohol if you're drinking in public and behaving in a way that could cause worry for safety. Well, surely those gangs of people gathered around Cork City on Saturday night in the middle of a pandemic swigging pints were causing a worry for public safety. Not to each other, but who they take the virus home to, surely. We'll have a look quickly at the COVID cases in Cork. Now, as of today, which is the 16th of November... And these are good news, by the way. Our 14-day figure, as of last evening, Sunday, was 416 cases across Cork City and County. That's 83 per 100,000 in the last 14 days. Two weeks ago, that figure stood at 1,403. So we've really done well in two weeks to get the case numbers down. That was 281 per 100,000. Go back to the 16th of October, in or around the same, 1,390. 280 per 100k. So we've gone from 280 per 100k before level 5 came in, down to 83 with level 5 in force. 
Now, Dr. Houlihan is talking about being concerned about the last five days and the five-day figures. Well, our last five days in Cork brought 70 cases. The previous five days brought 108 cases. And the five days to last Friday brought 133. So we're not doing too bad. Cork is in a reasonably good space at the moment in terms of getting the numbers down. You'd worry that what happened last Saturday night and indeed Friday night isn't helping. But Dr. Anthony Stain, Professor Anthony Staines rather, has been talking about tracking and tracing and, and how that system is also letting us down. Professor Staines, good morning again. Good morning, how are you? Now, Anthony, just before I talk about the numbers and, and what's going on and how we're trying to get them down, what is the big problem with our track and trace as you see it at the moment? The big problem is that the local public health offices who are the leads for the detailed contact tracing, so to find out if, if you, supposing you, you came up as being infected, hopefully you won't, but if you did, they, they will be the people trying to find out how you got infected. And they're, under, they're not being resourced. Mm. There's, a, there's a system for, for following up on testing, which is the, the call centres that HSE runs, and they're doing something really valuable. I, I don't want to criticise them in the slightest, but they're only part of the story. There's another part of the story, which is the local detailed knowledge on the ground and boots on the ground to find people. And countries that have been successful at controlling this virus, one of the things they have in common is they all have very effective local tracking and tracing. And there's good experience in public health that says this really works and it makes a useful contribution to controlling disease. Yes, I've been talking to Niall Conroy in Queensland and mm. telling me how they did it over there. He has 16 people on his team and he said they've been working flat out for, yeah. for months and months. Yeah, but that, that's, what, that's the kind of scale you're talking about. And Niall and he's is just responsible one unit. for an, an, a single area of, now it's a big area, but it's a single area of Queensland. So, so that's, that's what we need. There is a, a non. Well, I think the the longer this pandemic goes on, Anthony, the more we hear about the underfunding and the under resourcing of our public health units because now it is exposed for us all to see that they don't have the resources, they don't have the autonomy, they don't have the the numbers, mm. and here we and here we are with a tracing system that is not as good as it should be. Yeah, we're, we all pay the price for that because every time they, they don't trace somebody and an infection spreads, that's, that is huge knock-on cost down the way. And because we don't really have a good handle of where infection's coming from, we, we, you know, we, we know the infections we pick up mostly are people who are infected by someone in their own household. Mm-hmm. That's easy enough. But we often have no idea where the infection came from in the first place to get into the household. How far so, back should we be going? We, we only go back about 72 hours as far as I know. How far back should yeah, we be well, going? I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, 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 somebody in NAFA, Philip Nolan, said that going back further than that was of academic interest only. And the, the public health community kind of uh, took a sharp and of breath because this, this disease, the infectious period, the period between infections is something like five days. Yeah. So you need to go back at least one cycle. You need to go back at least five days. 
and maybe a bit further because there's there's a range around that. Some people it's longer, some people it's shorter. And it, it isn't, I mean, Philip is right, it isn't that easy, but it's absolutely essential. And mm. This is elementary public health. Yeah, yeah. Going back two or three days, you're only catching half at best. Yeah, you need to go back further. And you need to contact trace forwards. If, if I talk to colleagues in Korea, for example, for each case, they can tell me who it was infected by so-and-so, who was infected by so-and-so, who was infected by so-and-so, who was infected by so-and-so, because they've been, keep, they've been doing this for a while and they're keeping really good records. Yeah. So they know their chains of infection. And that's how, you, that's how they've managed to control it. South Korea has never had a nationwide lockdown. Now, their economy has been impacted because they had a fairly high level of viral circulation, yeah. but they never had a lockdown. Yeah. And their economy is recovering again. Very early like, in this, I spoke to a teacher from Cork who's teaching in Seoul, and, and she was describing to me the system out there, and it was like, it was like they'd been here before. Yeah. They have. And we, we, we have, but we've forgotten it. We, we haven't really had a huge outbreak of infectious disease in this country since the uh, flu in 68, 69. Yeah. That's the last, that's the last bad outbreak. And we, we've got complacent, all across Europe have got complacent. So everyone in Europe has made a muck of this because we're not sufficiently aware of the, the risks of infectious disease. In Asia, they're very aware. In Australia, they're, they're not, it's not as so much infectious disease they're aware of. They're very aware of biosecurity because they know that a lot of their farming depends on keeping infectious diseases from plants and animals out. Yeah. So they have the right mindset. Yeah. But in Europe, we've been very casual about it. And we're still, we're, we're all paying the price of that across Europe now. So the European economy is taking a serious dip, really, a, a, give, especially for us, given that you know, Brexit is around the corner. This is not the time we want this to be happening. Yeah. Um, Professor, before I let you go, those num- those scenes in Dublin and Cork at the weekend, and, and look, there's a lot of talk about them on social media about, you know, outrage and dangerous and all of this and all that. Are they dangerous or are they just ill-advised? They're, they're just ill-advised. I mean, if you're going to do, as I said before on this, if you're going to do something foolish, do it outside. Yeah. A lot, a lot of the really big spreading incidents have been things like parties where people are in a house, funerals, where people are in a house. Other kinds of social events where people are in a house or in a pub or in a hall. That that's when this really spreads. If you're going to do if you're going to gather together in large crowds, do it outside. But isn't there a danger? Yes. Isn't there a danger that a person will have walked into that crowd Saturday night, perfectly harmlessly, had a couple of drinks with their friends, one of their friends is asymptomatic. So they've brought it home, and now Granny, who's 79 and not well, will have it. Well, that can happen, but it's much more likely to happen if you, you gather around the back of the house with six of your friends in the kitchen. And a lot of this, is, a lot of this outrage is focused on young people having visible fun. And they're, I mean, this is, this is a consistent thread in human affairs. Older people always disprove young people having too much fun. Yeah. So, yeah, it isn't sensible, no. But if you're going to do it, it's much, much better to do it outdoors than indoors. 
it's better, yes, not to do it at all. But if you're going to do it, uh, if you're going to get together with five or six of your mates and drink, do it outdoors. Okay. All right. That, that's the safest way to do it. But right. preferably don't do it. But if you're going to do it, do it outdoors. All right. Always good to catch up. Thank you very much, Professor Anthony Staines from at DCU School of Nursing, Psychotherapy and Community Health. 1850-715-996. Willie wants to talk about the street drinking. Go there next. Cork's 96FM has identified many advantages to wearing a face mask. Save time and money by only having to do eye makeup. Forgot to shave? No problem. You're covered. And it's easier to avoid an ex because they probably won't recognise you. However, the main reason for wearing a face mask is the most vital to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. We're masking for a friend. Thank you. From Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Quickly to Willie. Willie, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Th- th- thanks for holding. What no, did you think of what happened Saturday night? Well, I've been honest with you, I was, I was, I was astonished by it, to be honest with you. I think it's defeating the purpose, like for everyone else, what they are doing in the lockdown, you know? Yeah. And when it came to level five, I didn't actually know. I was talking to Terry, then I had a good conversation with Terry, that I didn't know that a publican could self take away points. They can't, and, under level five restrictions. I, I didn't, didn't realise it either until about a week ago. Yeah, it's a bus driver told me yesterday that when he was going through the town last Saturday night, it was crazy. People are dead where they were. We can't name the pub, the pubs that were doing it, you know what I mean? But I wouldn't name them anywhere. Well, we'd be talking to a publican later anyway. Yeah, I know, he was telling me that. But I think it's defeating the public, you know what I mean? For people that are, are cocooning and, well, no, spring chickens or stuff like that. But we're kind of keeping to the, 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 the thing like we were staying, all the pubs that are closed, you know what I mean? They're not reopening yeah. the local bells. But this kind of thing happening. And I know enough to say for the young people to stay in the weekend, especially like if they're dating and things like that, they need to get out. We are doing it not our own day when we were around their age level. But I'm saying that when you kind of see the crowd that's in there and the girls are coming in then to disperse them, do you know what I mean? Like, they're mm. kind of like, it doesn't show a good uh, a good thing to the government. Like, well, we'll go back to hole in there again then where they say like, Christmas day, no, okay, we'll open the bells for a week. And then we chose the whole lot again after Christmas. You know, it's kind of a way of like- I'm not too sure that's what he's saying. One or two of the papers this morning are reporting that the pubs may get an opportunity to open um, from around the 8th or 9th of December for two weeks running up to Christmas. I'll be talking to a, a, a publican's representative a little bit later on and ask him about that. But, but you kind of wonder, sort of, should we be more focused on, on trying to have a Christmas with our families and worry about the pubs in the new year? Exactly, I totally agree with you. But you see, I'm saying that then, there's a lot of people that can't drink indoors. They need to go out and socialise. You know what I mean? Not everybody is an indoor drinker at all. I'm not an indoor drinker myself. I prefer to go out and socialise in the bear, especially where sports is concerned. You know what I mean? Not I do, Willie, I do, but we've all but had to give things yeah, up, you know? Yeah, no, I know, I know. Like, I know, like I I know. Saturday night, no, we had the thing. We've been doing it for, for months. We were doing it since the first lockdown. Myself and the Queen Bee sat right. down with, with two of our friends... We we put them on Skype on the telly, and the four of us had a couple of drinks and a chat together. Would I have preferred to be over in their house or in a pub with them? I absolutely would, of but you, you can't would, uh, do it right now. Yeah, but uh, but you see, you're abiding by it, and you know what I mean. You're, do, you're doing it, and I feel then kicked in the teeth by what exactly. happened inside in town. Exactly, sir. That's the way you feel. Like there's a lot of people this morning are waking up and hearing all this on your radio station. You know what I mean? And I commend you for it. It's fantastic, right? I'm absolutely gutted because of this, like, 
You know? Mm. Now, I spoke to you the last time on the radio about a certain bear on the north side. No, I didn't name the bear. Well, you had to wear the mask going in. You went to the bathroom. You went to the smoke room. Weirdness. You came and took it off. They served you a pint. You gave them your money. They brought down your change. You sat on your table. There were screens there. Perfect. Yeah. There was no coronavirus came out of that bear. It was absolutely rant to perfection. Yes. Know what I mean? No, I've been in bears. All and many bears, more right? like it, Willie, by the way. Many more yes. like it. No, Including I've my been... local in Douglas. Right. Run the no. same. My local, my local said, no, I say family in Blackpool. But I'm saying that. I've been in a bear then, where there was a good crowd there, right, that done food. There was no mass being more in there. And afterwards, there was corona came out of it. Yeah. Do you get me? Because they kind of, they laxed a bit. Not wearing the mask. Where if they had done the same as the bear that intended that you had to wear the mask going in and going to the smoke room and the toilet, maybe I could have been better. Nothing would have happened. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. It's like it's, you can you can you can lapse and you can you can take your eyes off the ball and the next thing you're going to have a, an epidemic. Simple as. Yeah. All right, we just have All to right. ha- hang in there, Willie, for as best we can. Good man, thanks a lot. That's Willie eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine. I did though. I have to say we did this. We you know we've been doing this since March. Um, two friends of ours who we'd see socially a lot. We'd go to their house or they'd come to ours. Or, or sometimes we'd go out and we'd meet them outside and, you know, we've been on holidays together and and all of that. And, and our kids all play together. Well, kids like, you know you know what I mean? His kids and my slightly older kid. But we've seen each other, I think, once or twice in the last seven or eight months. I think the June weekend, we, we, we got to have a, a barbecue together when you could do that. But but we've seen each other on Skype for the last... Would, would I like... To have gone out, yes, absolutely, absolutely, I would. But you, you don't. You, you, you're not supposed to. And did I feel kicked in the gut by what I saw inside? Yes, I did. I absolutely did. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Let's turn to something uh, very serious now, and that is the Taoiseach held a meeting. Uh, at the weekend with the director of Cork Penny Dinners and with Mary Crilly from the Cork Sexual Violence Centre. He met Mary and Katrina down at the Penny Dinners uh, Centre and also on that meeting via Zoom was Lavinia Kerwick, uh, the groundbreaker who told her story all those years ago and is still campaigning. And they were discussing a subject that Katrina and Mary have both talked to me about over the last couple of months, and that is rape and sexual attacks on homeless people, which is at shocking levels. Really, really shocking levels. It's not something you think about, you see. Mary joins me now. Mary, good morning to you. Good morning. morning, PJ. The levels of attacks on homeless people are shocking. Well, I know from here, like, say, for homeless women, what they'd often say to me is, look, Mary, I know you want to help, and I have been raped, but I can't keep count of the amount of times I've been raped, and I will be raped again, and it's nearly taken as part of the course, especially for women. Now, I do acknowledge it does happen to men as well, but for the women who are homeless, it's part of the course. It's kind of like a fair game, and very often they're raped by other homeless men or other people that they know. It's like, you know, as happens in the wider society. This was something Katrina had kind of said to me. This was her... um, baby really this is her kind of saying look we need to get up and do something about this we need to kind of let's pilot something let's pilot a house kind of a place of refuge not a refuge but a place of refuge where say 
if I meet somebody in the sexual assault treatment unit, if the guards are there, they'll bring them somewhere. But very often, these women won't go to the guards, they won't go anywhere, and then they're left out there just to be raped again. So we were looking at kind of piloting something. Um, like somebody might say it won't work, but I mean, for God's sake, we have to give it a go. We both know, and you know it's happening, um, because you've your eye on the ball there. And we just feel, as two women who have run organisations, we can do it. And we're not going, we, we will of course, have to include other organisations, but we're not going through with and roll of red tape because we know we can do it. Yeah. And I think Katrina, who you're going to talk to now, <clears throat> made that very clear to the teachers that we can do it and we know what we're about. What, what is it that can be done? I like If someone has no place to, to lay their head at night, Mary, they've got no place to run to be safe. So, so where do they go? Well, the refugees do, do great stuff. The homeless units, and then you have Simon, which I know up to a few years ago didn't really take in women and is not really suitable for somebody who's just after being raped, who's very traumatised, who knows it's going to happen again, who might, even the minute she walks down the road, to see the rapist again. And these women have said they've been raped two or three times a night because some man just feels like doing it. There's no other reason. And she gives in because she knows this is her way of life. So other than kind of the homeless units um, and the place like that, there is nowhere for them to go. There is no safe place. So what is the... We're, we're doing our best to get Katrina. She's, we can't get her on the end of her phone right now. So what did, what did you come up with? with the, first of all, how did the meeting with the Taoiseach go? It went very well. I mean, he did kind of question us on that to try and get an understanding of kind of what we wanted and try and understanding, like, what's different, what isn't there now. And then I think when we said, look, the services that are there are really good, but this is a big gap that they haven't looked at, you know, for the homeless women who are being raped, who need a place of sanctuary, like, for a while. Like, the ideal would be to have a house, maybe just start off with two or three women um, where they can kind of recover, where they can be, where we can provide counselling outside of it. Like, as I said to him, it's not going to be a holistic place where we're going to be doing counselling and all that within it because, like, we're not thick. We, you know, we have no illusion that um, it won't be like magic all of a sudden these women will feel very calm yeah. um, and work very well because it might be like that at all. It might be quite difficult to do this. Um, but that's the plan. That's the idea to have a pilot. Yeah, well, at least one thing you don't have any anyway, Mary, is any illusions of how easy this might be. Because the last thing that's going to an old come by ah won't work. It's got to be something very targeted and very specific and very well watched. And I think very focused, so the women know we are trying. It's not like you know, go in there now and you should be very grateful. Like that doesn't always happen because you know somebody's been raped and they continue being raped and they've so many things put on their head. You just have to be very realistic about what you can provide, how you can provide it, and be very respectful of their needs and where they're at and all the trauma they've been through in their life. So I think from teacher's point of view, what we wanted to get was a commitment because sometimes if you get a commitment from somebody at his level, well then the others will follow through because they have to. And he has given a commitment and he said he'll get on to the other, the housing and other people kind of states from that he's behind it. Now people might say that's all lip service, I don't care. We can kind of quote Taoiseach as saying he has committed and you know, Donald Keith was their journalist, so he got an interview with him saying that. And the Vinnie yeah. Carrick was there, just really explaining um, what happened to her years ago he, and how he said it in front of he said it in years. front of powerful witnesses who will remind him of it. Katrina Toomey's on the other line now. Exactly. Stay there, Mary. Katrina, hi. Okay. Hello. Appreciate you busy this morning. Were you happy with the meeting with the Taoiseach? Very happy. Really was no, because you know I wouldn't say it otherwise. And um, the Taoiseach, uh, we explained. Up, you know what we wanted to do, and uh, he was he was all for it. He saw that it's a, a very doable um, proposal, and it'll be a very good solution 
to what we have out there for people. What is the and idea then, you have yourself, Katrina? What, what would you envisage okay. as being a solution? Well, you know, if somebody's homeless and they're raped and they go to the hospital, when they leave that hospital, they're back out on the streets. Yeah. And what can they do? Curl up in a ball and pray it won't happen again. Now, our solution to this is, right, and it's not just a solution to, you know, it be, could be a solution to the homeless situation as well for them. Our solution is that we have a refuge and when they come out, that they'd be accompanied by Mary Crilly's team over and they'd go to the refuge where they could, you know, um, sit down, have a cup of tea, have something to eat, shower and stay there. Mm. And then, you know, find comfort, find solace, like it'll be a sanctuary for them. And we'll work with them then over a number of weeks and we'll try and get them a home for life then. A place of refuge. Yeah, and if they have any... Now, it won't be a medical centre and it really won't be a counselling centre because all that's available, you know, in the hospital for the medical and over Mary Curry's for everything else, for the the sexual violence centre. But they'd have access, for example, Mary, to your services, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a good idea. Have you? Is there a cost in mind, Katrina, for this? Well, you know, this is, I suppose, where the government will come in and the Taoiseach, where he'll come in. There's plenty of buildings around the place, you know, and he even said that himself, like that they could be identified fairly quickly. We'd have to have a meeting with all the other, you know, the homeless forum and, st- forum and stuff like that. Yeah. And that would all be done. And then just identify how we would kind of manage, I suppose, for want of a better word. Yes. And what, what it, and define it as well. But, like, we've more or less defined the PJ, so yeah. it's quite simple. You'd want to be, you know, <sighs> silly not to understand what we're trying to do. Well, and well, if there's two women better able to hold him to it than, than you two, yeah. I, I, I've, I've yet to meet them, and indeed Lavinia Kerwick as well. So I'm going to wrap it there with Mary and Katrina. Thank you very much. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. You can tweet at opinionline96, follow the hashtag OL96. And of course, Facebook, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. Pop us a message, but please do address it for the attention of the Opinion Line. As we get closer to Christmas, we want to hear from people who cannot or indeed have decided not to come home for Christmas. Uh, We'd like to hear from you, and the email is the best way to do that, opinion at 96fm.ie Cork's 96fm's 10k toy giveaway With Johnson & Parrott, Douglas Bishopstown and Matten Point. Put 2020 behind you and drive into 2021. Always open at jpmg.ie Right, we'll be doing this around about the half past ten mark. You're listening for your cue to text or WhatsApp. When you hear that, bang it off to us at 083-396-9696. If we call you back, you need to answer a very simple question. Get it right, you're in the draw then after six. We'll be giving away two 500 euro toy shopping sprees every day. It's Cork's 96FM 10K toy giveaway with Johnson & Perrett, Douglas Bishopstown and Mahan Point. Put 2020 behind you. Drive into 2021. Always open at jpmg.ie. We'll do this in around 
20 minutes, give or take. You're listening for your cue to text or WhatsApp, and we will take it from there. Get involved when you have the opportunity. 1850-715-996. Back to the street drinking and the scenes in the city on Saturday night, both here and in Dublin. There were worse in Dublin. We had a few hundred people down in the Grand Parade on Saturday night. We had people on the steps of the courthouse in Washington Street with people gathered outside pubs all over the place. I see Benny McCabe quoted on the Cork Bureau website as saying he had two of his pubs open and they stopped at nine o'clock selling takeaway points. I know that a couple of places had bouncers on the door and giving takeaway points out the door. This is something that wasn't happening in the first lockdown. And when the restaurant pubs opened in June, they were only able to serve you very limited numbers of takeaway points. Literally, you could have a point or two to take away with your meal. But you couldn't actually do that. You couldn't get a, a, a point out the door of a wet pub. Uh, in the first lockdown. But now, now you can uh, because of the way that the restrictions or the guidelines are written. And there are many say it it leads to the kind of scenes that we had in town on Saturday night. Padraig Cribben is the chief executive of the VFI. Padraig, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Those scenes in Dublin and Cork Saturday night were like a kick in the teeth for people who have been doing as they have been asked. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, probably fair to say. I think it's equally fair to say that uh, over the last uh, nine months or thereabouts that uh, we have been uh, under the uh, cosh in terms of this pandemic, that they are very isolated. Um, now, what, what we are aware of is that there were uh, a number of pubs selling what's called uh, takeaway, takeaway drink. I, I think sometimes we get lost in the fact that, you know, 90 plus percent of the takeaway drinks that sold in this country is sold through off licenses. There's a very, very small percentage sold through pubs. And in, in, in the instances prior to this weekend, uh, and indeed in the instances that I saw, some of the footage that I saw this weekend, uh, a lot of the alcohol that was being consumed was out of uh, bottles, out of cans and indeed wine bottles which I can assure you uh, didn't come by and large from the on-trade. So, uh, you know, it's there is a level of frustration has set in with some people, uh, and, and that's probably understandable as well. Yeah. And, of course, there's the question of personal responsibility. And it is, you know, it's convenient for some people uh, to lay it all at the door of a, a small number of publicans, uh, which uh, is convenient only. I think you've got to look at the broader picture, the broader picture being, as I say, that 90 plus percent of what's sold out there is sold from... from yeah, I know that, but it does it, I get that with the off-licenses, and, and they're still open and still able to trade. There are many people who believe they should be shut. There are others who said that that would cause more more problems than it would solve. But focus, if you will, on, on, on the pubs. Like, Where does it say that you can serve trays of plastic points out the door of a pub during restrictions? A, a a pub has a license to sell for consumption on and off the premises. That's number one. And the guidelines are quite clear that uh, uh, for for pubs that they can sell for takeaway. Even under level five. Even under level uh, even under level five. But takeaway to where, Potter? Across the uh, street. The law the law is very clear. 
it's it's set out in in a, an intoxicating liquor act of 2003 that it should be consumed not consumed within 100 meters uh, of the actual pub uh, and it is a, an offense if a publican um knowingly um, allows that to happen or, or, or I suppose if it's done with their consent probably not knowingly but if it's done with their consent and I do know that in Cork uh, uh, that a lot of the publicans did uh, have signs up basically saying that it was not to be consumed within, within 100 metres and you know I, I also uh, looked this morning and I see that the Gardaí in Cork have basically said that from their perspective uh, and I quote uh, there were no breaches of the regulations. Which, which is bizarre because there's a bylaw in this city that anyone you can't drink in the street. There's a bylaw. Yeah, so I, the people I, who I am took, aware of that. And the, the irony of it, Patrick, is that there was pints being consumed on the steps of the flipping courthouse, and that's a hell of a lot less than a hundred yards from the nearest pub. Well, it's not. You see, uh, uh, and, and you're right. It, it could very well. I'm not. One can never say that you know where they specific pint is coming from but it, it could be coming from you know pubs there's a lot of pubs in Cork City so if I were to buy a pint in one pub uh, and and move 100 metres I'm certainly going to be within 100 metres of another exactly. pub uh, but it doesn't it's, it's the 100 metres of the pub that I bought it in but you know th- that would that would be to get technical I think the reality is that you know Saturday night if, if, if you take it from last uh, March uh, how many occasions have you had like Saturday night? And I think the answer is very few. I wouldn't uh, agree with you. You know, th- there probably is a level of frustration by by the public because, you know, it's, it's the public who actually bought the alcohol. It's the public who consumed the alcohol. You do have to ask, where is the personal responsibility? That has to be asked. Uh, I will now, hold on a while. Hold on a while. If a pub is going to sell a tray of plastic points, people are going to go and buy those same said points. Simple. Uh, that's, that's true. But the, 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 pub is not, the, the pub is not breaking any guidelines in doing that. The pub is not breaking any law in doing that. No, 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 uh, no. I never that, said that, that they are. Maybe, maybe, yeah, well, maybe, the, maybe the guidelines need to be tightened up a little bit. I know that Michal Martin, I think, said in the last 12 or 18 hours that he plans to talk to Helen McEntee about this. That's right. You could find yourself. Uh, you could find yourself with, 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 about, yeah, with the law change. Uh, you know, I'm 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 surprised, PJ, because what what the Taoiseach actually said is he's going to discuss uh, this new phenomenon. Takeaway alcohol is not a new phenomenon. Sixty percent of all the alcohol sold in this country is takeaway. I think he's talking about from pubs. I, well, you know, they're licensed premises, uh, and a license in a pub, any pub. Any day of the week has the capacity to sell for consumption either on or off the. Price. But in normal but, times, if I in and let's stress normal times. In normal times, if I wander into a pub in the city centre and I buy a pint, and I decide to wander across on a lovely summer's day and sit out at the edge of the Berwick Fountain, enjoying the sunshine with my pint in my hand, I'm committing an offence, and the pub is allowing me to do so. Uh, well, you see, the, I hear what you're saying, and I, I and I accept that totally. Uh, but the one thing that publicans are not, in fairness, they're they're not uh, they're not police. Uh, and while 
while the law in relation to in, in if, if even if the bylaw if the bylaw weren't there in Cork, uh, it's it's only if the publican actually consents or encourages people would the publican be breaking do, the law. Do they not the have? Do they not have a? Do they not have a responsibility to bear in mind the bylaws that apply? Uh, of course they do, uh, and 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 they will do. Um, but you, you know, so also do do all uh, license holders, and I'm sure in in normal times, uh, if any of us can remember normal times, PJ, that there are places in Cork City the same as there is in every other city, that there are people who will congregate uh, with 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 uh, alcohol and other and and other uh, substances. Uh, at various times, and that's where the Gardaí come in. But it's the Gardaí's job to make sure that those kind of either bylaws or actual laws are implemented. I mean, a publican uh, behind the But is it not bar, up to the publicans to assist the common good by not knowingly providing drink to people who they know will go across the street and drink it on the steps of a courthouse or drink it in, in a park? Is it, not, is it not part of their responsibility as, as publicans? In a lot of cases, what, what publicans are doing at the minute is they're selling food and drink together. Uh, and, and that's part of it. There wasn't much food being there. consumed down the Peace Park Saturday no, I night. That. I accept that. But if, if, uh, I do accept that totally from the pictures that I've seen. Uh, but, you know, in, in most cases, um, you, have, uh, you have that scenario. And indeed, you know, you have a lot of publicans, a number of publicans. By the way, it's a small number of publicans in Cork City. That are that are supplying uh, alcohol for takeaway, uh, and even on Saturday night, I am aware that a number of those, when they saw what was happening, actually uh, closed that facility. Valid they point actually, and worthy of mention. You're you're you correct. Know, they actually you're correct. Stopped, they actually stopped doing that. So th- this has been going on uh, for quite some time uh, without any major issue. Now Saturday night, it would appear became a significant issue. And I think there's a number of things that have to happen. And by the way, just to be very clear, I'm not condoning what happened on Saturday night. Uh, And I think, you know, we've got to go back and see what can we learn from that to make sure it doesn't happen again. But there's also, and I I do come back to this, because social media plays a part with with the public. And from what I saw, and and again, I I don't want to pick out any cohort, but there was a particular age group that did seem to be involved. Yes. And social media played a part in, because, you know, when 10 people get together and social media becomes alive, 10 very quickly becomes 20, and 20 very quickly becomes 60. And within a very short period of time, you know, a situation that wasn't the situation almost gets out of hand. Yeah. But the frustration is there, uh, and hopefully... You know, as I said, this was one weekend in about 26. Mm. So let's not let's not uh, come out with the guns blazing. Let's let's learn from us. Let's see what well, needs to be you done. Know, and you're, you're trying to your, your member pubs are trying to get open again in time for Christmas. I would argue that if you actually stopped doing the takeaway for the next couple of weeks and helped to get the numbers down if 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 they were if if people weren't able to get the points on the trays out the window or out the door they wouldn't come into town in such huge numbers yes the off licenses are there before you even mention it but they wouldn't 
Yeah, and I see the heading in, in the examiner this morning uh, is it, it's a, a two-week reprieve for pubs if the COVID rate falls. Can I tell you, PJ, very few, if any, publicans have any interest in opening for two weeks uh, for quite a number of reasons. It is not economically viable. The people who dream up these things apparently know nothing about a pub because it's not as simple as opening and closing. Mm. If, you open, if you open your pub tomorrow morning, uh, and, and whether it be a big pub or a small pub, you actually, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to get, you've got to open kegs and get them on the line. If you open for two weeks, you're going to end up with a lot of kegs that are, are, are half used. Two weeks won't cut it. There will be no interest in opening for two weeks. So what is and the I'm, VFI want to do? Uh, well, on top of that, just if I finish that point, staff will not want to come off the PUP for two weeks. Uh, and then face the prospect of going back on and the administrative problems of getting back on. I think it's very clear. We we, we, we need a period of... We, we need notice of when we can open, and you're open. You're either open, and it's, it's either all pubs or no pubs, and you're open full stop. Not for two weeks. You know, we've, we've got to learn at this point in time, in some shape or form, uh, to, to live with... Um, uh, with 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 this pan- with with this virus and opening and closing and opening and closing is not a solution. It's not a solution for pubs. It's not a solution for our suppliers, and it's not a solution for the fifty thousand people that are employed in the industry. All right, we'll talk again. I've no doubt, Padraig Cribben, the chief executive of the Vintners Federation, harping in on public responsibility. Don't gather if you want to be responsible. Have your drink. Take it away. Bring it home. Don't be gathering in big crowds. But then again, if the pub wasn't serving the pints out the door, on the tray... Yeah. Finn says, are people that desperate that takeaway pints are a necessity? Where's the comfort in standing in the rain in a doorway drinking? I give up. I, Finn, I couldn't agree with you more. I looked out the front door on Saturday night. What was I doing? Putting the cat out or something. Saturday night, about half past ten, cat wants to go out for a wee. And there I am, opening the front door because the cat won't go out the back. It's a thing. And I'm looking out at what a horrible night it was. I'm thinking, what the hell? Like, what, what would you do? Why would you want to stand out in that? With a pint in your hand. 1850-715-996. Caller says, I understand that there's a level of frustration. It's a lot more than frustration. It's anger. We can't go to a shop to get clothes. Those of us who live alone can't have a bit of company in our own house. Why is drink so important? It's not right. Pub owners should have this on their conscience. For five weeks, was takeaway drink really essential? No, it's not. Look at all the people who've lost their jobs or all the businesses forced to close for this period, which could have had much more of a benefit than alcohol. Sitting at home on my own, Seeing these scenes over the weekend was nothing but a kick in the stomach for me. Paul says, PJ, the takeaway rules are that drink purchased can't be consumed 100 metres from the bar. So people slugging pints close to the bar, it is an issue. Ernest Cantlins from Electric. Ernest, good morning. I thought you were calling me for the 10k giveaway. No, were you you serving plastic pints out on trays on Saturday night? We've never served pints uh, from electric in the whole time we've been uh, reopened. Don't get me wrong, we've been serving mulled wines and, and hot punches and stuff. Um, uh, so I can't say that we're, we're on a father Matthew buzz. Um, but we don't, we don't even have the trays and we're not serving pints. Um, so, so did you serve but, no pints on Saturday night? 
No, we haven't served pints in the whole time we've been open um, from electric. Uh, but uh, look, don't get me wrong, we serve pints from, from Sober Lane, and I don't really have an issue with it. Um, but I've been following all the the social media crack. Um, but just a second, would, so the people, yeah. the people in the Peace Park on Saturday night, none of them were drinking pints from electric, but they might have been drinking them from Sober Lane. Yes, yeah, I, I think that's possible, like, you know. We, um, I suppose, we're, look, we've been lucky enough to have used the park for the last 10 years outside electric, so we're always respectful of it because mostly for good reasons. It's a nice place where people gather. Um, so what we did from the start is we decided to close at 9 o'clock, not to serve pints and to serve uh, everything that we serve in branded glasses. So people, we, we it, it helps us police the 100-metre thing. Um, so uh, so we know that there's an electric sticker on the drinks that we um uh, that we serve um, mm. and it just makes it easier so well, we have somebody who manages the queue make sure people have masks before they engage our staff and we say um, look here's the rule uh, hope you abide but if you don't we won't be able to serve you again um, and that's kind of the way that's the way it's gone why um, even bother um, with the with the 100 metre um, well, no with takeaway points what's the point like well I suppose we were we were closed and now we're back up to seven staff in each place. So it's 14 jobs, you know. Yeah, but you can do takeaway food, can't you? We, we can, we can, I guess. But look, I suppose we are um, uh, we are a pub. So we, we would always be selling alcohol. You know, um, uh, that's what we're here to do. You know, we don't kind of claim to be anything else. I, I, I would say that, um, like, I, I'm surprised at, at, um, at the negativity about it, but I understand it entirely. because well, why, why, um, why are you surprised? Um, well, I, I suppose uh, the um, I think people see a picture of a crowd um, and are putting two and two together, and I just don't think that's the the story. You know, if they were there on Saturday night, um, like I'd be cu- curious if anybody who came and bought a drink from Electric, I'd be curious what they felt their their um, uh, their experience was. Um, I would say I, I'm quite happy to not serve drinks from Electric um, this weekend to see if it makes any difference. Like if it would contribute to, to public safety or to maybe mm. appease people's you thoughts. May not, that you may not that. have a choice because I think Michal Martin is going to talk to Helen McEntee about doing something. So you you may find the restrictions tweaked next weekend where it'll be just food and food alone. Yeah, And look, of course, we'll, we'll play ball like we followed the guidelines all the way along. Um, and if that's the case, you know, fair enough, of, of, course, we'll, um, of course we'll play ball with it. Mm. And I get it, the hundred meters thing. I, I I do get that, and that's yeah. that's that's the law. But also, Ernest, you know the bylaws. You can't yeah. drink on the street. So even if it's a hundred yards or two hundred yards or five hundred yards from sober lane, you're actually not supposed to be drinking that in the middle of the street under a Cork City Centre bylaw. So why would you sell drink? And this isn't just aimed at you, this is anyone. Why would you sell drink, put it in someone's hand, when you know they're breaking local bylaws by drinking it in the street? Yeah, I suppose two things. One, I don't know that, I guess, for for a a point. You know, we have certain obligations to make sure somebody's over 18, to make sure that they are in a fit condition to serve, you know, to have mm. alcohol as regards to intoxication, those things. So there are, those are our responsibilities. And you're not aware um, of the local bylaw no, that's been there, there since no, no, 1997? I, 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 didn't, I didn't say that, but I, it, it's not the pub is the one who's consuming it on the streets, just to answer your point specifically. Um, however, I would say I'm not disagreeing Aren't you with enabling the it to be drank in the street? I, I'm not disagreeing with the bylaw, but what I would say is that this year has been a like I never thought electric would take away anything, you know. Like, uh, uh, so it, it's been um, 
a year of reinvention and survival, and this just seems to be the current uh, model that we're in. Um, uh, we um, and I would say, like our biggest rule of thumb on all these things is the guards. So anything that the guards ask us to do, we always do because look when when we need them. They're the first part call that we go to. Um, so we've engaged them every weekend, and they've been very. Um, support and helpful, asked us to monitor our queue, asked us to watch people wearing masks, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and if they feel that the, the, the takeaway thing is an on-runner, of course, absolutely, we'll, we'll go with their, um, their advice or directive. Are you suggesting that if things stay as they are, and we don't know whether they will, because usually these announcements are made around a Thursday, because yeah. I've no doubt that Michal will seek not just Helen McEntee, but she'll talk to, he'll probably want to talk to Neffet as well. You're saying that next weekend you'll pilot not selling any alcohol out from electric? Uh, we're lucky enough to do drinks on Deliveroo, so people can order food with their drinks and they get right. delivered out to their, their house. Ah, yeah. But yeah. Take, take away drinks in the sense, yeah, I'm happy to pilot that. I think, um, uh, look, we've been really lucky for the last 10 years, but particularly any time we've done takedown or, you know, lock, lockdown, Sorry, take away our people buying vouchers, Christmas or anything like that. And I think that um, you can't just, you know, take the best of public opinion and the praise. And then when people aren't happy with something you're doing, you, you can't mm. just ignore it. I, mm. I think that would and, be And by the way, Ernest, thank you for taking our call, because I know this is a difficult conversation to be part of when you're one of the publicans who was ah, well, in look, this. You're and, always and if any, to I'm, champion our, our good things, in fairness. So like, I, I can't put my head in the sand if I've done something unpopular. I accept that entirely, but, you know, mm. fair is fair. Okay. Well, I appreciate, appreciate it. We'll see where it goes. That's the story. Thank you, Ernest. Ernest Cantlin from Electric and from Sober Lane. Electric were not selling points on Saturday night. They were selling points out of Sober Lane, asking people to go the 100 metres and all of that. The thing is, the bylaw is the bylaw is the bylaw. Now, not only are the publicans selling and putting a pint in your hand when they know you're in breach, or they should know, you're in breach of a local bylaw by drinking it in the street. The guards didn't enforce it either. So who's right and who's wrong here? 1850-715-996. You're always talking about the pubs. What about the people that can't get clothes for the kids for Christmas? They don't want to be getting them too late either. Well, there's a the thing. You know, you can go into town and you can buy a feed of pints and, and drink it in, in the park, in the rain, if you want to. But you couldn't go in the following day and buy a shirt and a pair of jeans or buy clothes for the kids. Fact. I have no problem with people drinking on the streets. Not everyone are sheep. Oh, please. Open the pubs. You're only in lockdown if you allow yourself to be in lockdown. And that's from John. Okay. Uh, if that helps. PJ, very easy to criticise when your income... Oh, here we go. Very easy to criticise when your income remains unaffected by these lockdowns. And by the way, that's not aimed at you, Ira. No, of course it isn't. I'm lucky enough that my husband works in the public sector. But, and I'm not defending the carry-on at the weekend at all, these publicans are just doing their level best to keep their heads above water. You're half right, Mags. I sympathise with them because they've had their businesses crucified, particularly the wet pubs who were closed until the middle of September. Absolutely. But did they not have a budget in October full of provisions for people who have to keep their businesses closed under level four and five? Did they not do that? Yeah. Uh, very easy to criticise when your income remains unaffected by the lockdowns. And you're right. Hey, listen, I've been very lucky to keep my job and my wife works in the public sector. She has been, she, she's kept her job. You know, we're, we've been lucky. In that regard, and I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't dispute that for a second. 
but it doesn't mean I don't understand things. Santa baby for non-stop Christmas hits. Non-stop Christmas hits. My Christmas present for you. Listen to Corks 96 Miss streaming online now. Download our app or see 96fm.i. This is Corks Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Corks 96 FM. Now, COVID-19 done away with matches. Well, they're back. It done away with gigs. We had no live at the marquee. We had no Irish Independent Park. We had to do away with weddings and christenings and confirmations and communions and foreign holidays and God only knows what else. But this blasted thing still managed to survive. Please. Yeah, it started last night. I'm a non-entity. Why are you watching me? Sorry, I'm a celebrity. Get me out here. It's changed, though. They're not going to the film set in uh, Australia this time. The Banana Plantation at the edge of the Versace or the Gucci, whatever the hell they call it, hotel, to the film set, which is not really a jungle at all. They're not there at all. They're in a so-called haunted castle in Abergele in North Wales. Like, Why? <laughs> it's cold and wet in Wales. At least it was warm and all that in in the banana plantation, in the fake film set, in the fake jungle, in fake Australia. Well, it wasn't Australia. Ant and Deck were in good form last night. Mark Davies is here in Cork, and you're you're a bit feeling a bit left out, Mark. He's wait wait wait. wait. Go to find four. You're feeling a bit left out, Mark. I think are you? Just a little bit, yeah. Why? <laughs> Well, Abergelly is my hometown, and I moved to Cork about um, 13 years ago. Right. And so um, there's a you know massive crack there at the moment in in my hometown. So um, yeah, missing missing all the fun and all the and all the celebrations that are going on there with Ant and Deck being there and all those celebrities. So uh, yeah, <laughs> tell us a little bit about the place where it's all happening. So Grey Castle, um, it was built in, uh, I think it was like uh, 1810. Um, Lord, Lord Hesketh built it um, in memory of, uh, of his mother, um, Francis Lloyd. Um, so, um, you know, it's been, it's been part of Abergelly, um since then. Um, I think there was a, a big split in the family and then, and then um, you know, uh, it, it got left to the um, local council, etc. Right. Then someone from America bought it in the early 90s, promised to turn it into a five-star hotel. But then it just went derelict, and there was a few major fires up there. And uh, ever since then, um, you know, um, we've the, the local um, kind of uh, charities, etc., have been trying to renovate it the last 10 years. Yeah. And, um, you know, to be fair, when I looked at the castle last night, it looked, uh, you know, absolutely... Uh, stunning, and that's how it used to look like with all those lights. Um, if you ever travelled along the A55 um, along Wales towards Hollyhead, if you're going back over to Ireland, yeah, you'll yeah. be able to see it there all the up at night time. But because of you know training ownership all the time went derelict, you know nothing really happened to it for about 20 years. So mm. it's just absolutely fabulous now. It's uh, back in um, the limelight where it should be. Yeah, and Crystal, all jokes aside, th- this is a huge boost for for Abergelli because it's a massive film crew, huge buzz for 
for how what's the pop tell me a bit about Abigail what's it like so Abigail is a traditional farmer's market town up to about maybe 15 years ago and then where the the, the, the market town was um uh, the market um Tesco's bought it you know and then they, and the, the farmers market got moved to another town uh, kind of nearby but the population of Abigail is around about 10,000 um i suppose it's like a bit bigger than, than Blarney uh, if you put it on on that okay. scale okay but, but if you include the sheep it's about 100,000 so <laughs> But yeah, yeah, so it's a traditional, traditional market uh, town, you know. Um, we we uh, in the last ten, fifteen years become more of a retirement town. We get a lot of um, people from England and uh, other parts of the UK retiring to the town. I say it's and, lovely uh, in the summertime, is it? Oh, it's absolutely uh, stunning um, in the summertime. Um, you know, um, we're, we're actually between the coast. And um, you know, Snowdonia National Park's behind it. So, oh, uh, uh, where the castle is, if you just go on the hill behind it, you'll be able to see all, all of Snowdon, all of Snowdonia National Park. It's a pretty stunning area of Wales, actually. Right. right, and of course, bringing a big film crew, and even with restrictions in place, and are you still? Is Wales still on that that um, really harsh lockdown circuit breaker? Or are they out of it again? No, they came out of it last week. I think we had a seventeen day uh, circuit uh, break there, and so. Um, it was just, you know, good timing, really. I mean, you know, uh, you know, North Wales hasn't got the big businesses as you do, like in an island like the Facebooks and, you know, the Apples, etc. So um, it's, it's going to be a massive, huge, you know, boost to the economy in the area, you know, the hotels, um, you know, the local shops, etc. You know, which is which is great because, um, you know, it just keeps the spirits up during during the time during during COVID. So, um yeah. Everyone's really, really excited in the Good. town, and hopefully, you know, it will um, bring more business with, you know, more tourists going to come to see the castle in, um, you know, future months and future years. Yeah. And you know, I really do hope they do, you know, they do go back there instead of going back to Australia. I think it'd be great. <laughs> it's a bit cold and wet though compared to Australia this time of year. Mark, have you still got people in Abergelly? Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, most of my family there, um, due, due, due to COVID restrictions, I missed my father's 90th birthday, which was on last August. Ah. Uh, my mum's 87, so I haven't seen my parents for about a year now in, in Wales. Will, um, will you try to get to, to them for Christmas? You don't have to quarantine going from there to here, from here to there. Yeah, I'll, I'll try, but um, because my mum and dad's age were and underlying health issues, I probably won't take the risk until, you know, probably until they have the vaccine because... Yeah. Um, you know, mm. he, he, because it's so highly contagious, you never know where I can get you on the plane or in the airport. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, really don't, I really don't take that risk with my parents at the moment. Gotcha. But we cat every day anyway, so good. it's good. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, delighted to hear more about your hometown. And you know what? I'm, I, I'd be slagging uh, I'm a celebrity to the, to the moon and back, but it's great for your hometown and people absolutely love it. Thanks, Mark. And uh, all my best to, to your parents. And I hope that they have continued good health until such time as you get to see them. That's Mark Davies from Abigail in North Wales, where he's lived in Cork, where I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here is taking place this year. And not Australia, where it's cold and wet, not hot and humid. PJ, can you tell me what the government is doing with all this funding for greenways? I live in Gary Vaux. The potholes could do with all the money being sent for greenways. Ah, yeah. Ah, yeah. There was another one then last week for the Ring of Kerry, wasn't there? 20 minutes. The Ring of Kerry is a flipping greenway. Like, come on. Um, look, PJ, I think everyone is sick of this virus at the moment. I know I am. I know I am, it says. I thought we were in lockdown. The pubs are a to themselves. They really don't care even about breaking bylaws. And we're at home sitting by our fires waiting to get out again. 
What about the five kilometre limit? Where did all these people come from? Look, people think they can do what they want. They don't care. And that's from Marie, who sounds rightly browned off by by the whole lot. Let's catch up on some more comments. And then I'll take a tune up to 11, Terry, so you're, you're good. Uh, on the, the sex attacks on, on homeless people, and this is a very disturbing one for earlier on, Tanya was in touch and she, I was talking to we were talking to Katrina from the Penny Dinners and Mary from the Sexual Violence Centre about trying to I'm meeting the Taoiseach at the weekend about trying to do something for the disgracefully high numbers of sex attacks on, on homeless women Tanya was in touch all the homeless groups in Cork face this day after day with the women on the street you'd be amazed at the hassle they get from the general public as well roof over their head for sexual favours um, on Anthony Staines, uh, the p- good professor was on with me this morning talking about tracking and tracing and he was talking about, you know, trying to keep this virus under control in the run-up to Christmas and he's a bit dubious about gatherings at Christmas, is, is Anthony Staines. He'd love for us to have them, but at the same time he realises they might be dangerous. But Kate wants to know, is he saying so we can't have family over for Christmas dinner or that we shouldn't do it indoors. I don't think he is saying that. I think he probably wishes like everybody else that we will be able to do it and do it properly. I hope against hope that we can. I hope against hope that we can. There's nothing I want more than to see my mother and my brother and my sister over Christmas. Nothing I want more. And and I hope we can. Tom's just come off the phone from his daughter in Melbourne. They were completely locked down for three months. No one was allowed in or out of the country. There were very strict restrictions. Now they're over two weeks with little or no cases. That's the story across Australia. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Ken Tobin with the next opportunity to take part in our 10k toy giveaway this afternoon on Cork's 96 FM. Quick reminder to you that every year thousands of people get together in Cork to help fight homelessness with Cork Simon by wearing their Christmas jumpers to work or to school or anywhere they can raise those vital funds. Bit different this year obviously so Cork Simon and Cork's 96 FM have asked you to host your Christmas jumper day wherever you feel safe doing it is it's on the office, if you're going into the office, do it there. If you're working from home, do it there. If you want to do it online, do it. Want to set up a big Zoom with all your mates and have 20 of you on screen, all wearing your Christmas jumpers, do it online. Do it to uh, raise money for Cork Simon. Get your fundraising pack at corksimon.ie and join us at Cork's 96 of M in helping to fight homelessness in Cork. That's over the next few weeks. The Christmas, they have to do it differently. Uh, this year. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email opinion at 96fm.ie. You know what? Something that gets under me fingernails is when people deliberately or otherwise misquote me. I never said that I thought the young people had had a hard time and deserved be let out at the weekend. I never said that. I said there are those who would put it up there as a view. It is not a view to which I subscribe. Stay home. Suck it up, buttercup. It's only for a couple of weeks. You'll be grand. But of course you've been... Listen, the proc couldn't quote you accurately anyway. If If you wrote it down and told them what to say, they couldn't quote you accurately. Thanks, lads. We love you. 
1850-715-996. But again, to, um, to serious matters, and a lot of things have gotten worse during the two periods of lockdown. One of them we know was domestic violence. The, the huge numbers, and we talked about it last week and the week before on the show. Another incidence that's gone up, and this is a thing, you can't say, is this actually a thing? It is, and it's a big thing and a bad thing. The number of parents who've had to seek support from a national helpline to deal with their violent children has more than quadrupled in 2020, with parent line linking the increase to the pandemic. Wow. In September 29, boys aged 12 to 17 made up most of those involved in incidents of violence against their parents. About 10% of them were over 18. And they've had nearly 3,000 calls up to September of this year. Now, figure that out in your head. The prospect of a 12, 13 or 14 or 15 year old boy beating up one of his parents or attacking one of his parents. You kind of wouldn't, you can't countenance it, can you? Aileen Hickey is the CEO of Parentline. Aileen, it is all too real and all too frequent. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, and yes, uh, unfortunately, it is all too real and all too frequent. Um, I just, I do want to clarify, though, when we talk about the, the number of calls in terms of this area of domestic violence um, quadrupling this year, that's entirely accurate. But the violence doesn't necessarily, it, you know, it isn't necessarily boys throwing their mother up against the fridge door every night of the week, to be honest. It can be, the violence can be aggression, manipulation, it can be damaging property, it can be verbal abuse, sure. it can be intimidation, tr- you know, controlling behaviours. So it, it can go from any of that up to physical assault. But sure, it, sure. It, it sure. isn't necessarily always physical assault. I just wanted to clarify that because I don't want... But like when we're talking yeah. about, you know, more, if, if you want to use the word conventional forms of, of domestic abuse, all of those various categories are combined as well. So it, it's kind of... Yeah, and I suppose what it is, PJ, is, you know, I mean, you know, I think when, when people talk about domestic violence and domestic abuse, you know, they generally think of, you know, it, that it's partner to partner violence or, you know, it's, it's a husband to the wife or the wife to the husband or a partner to a partner. You know, this is, I suppose, kind of a dark side of, of domestic violence, if you want to put it like that. You know, it's kind of seldom talked about or kind of, I suppose, even seldom kind of understood because, you know, no parent wants to countenance the idea of them being fearful in their own homes, you know, of their own child, that there's a possibility that, that you know, that their child might hurt them, you know, and, and actually, I suppose, you know, even more significantly, a lot of parents are, who are at the receiving end of, of this particular form of anger and aggression and violence, you know, that it, it, it's a very sensitive subject for the parents who are on the receiving end, you know, so, you know, they can, they can feel very much alone or embarrassed Mm-hmm. Um, that they're not coping with the situation that that their family ha- that this is you know what their family what's happening within their family, you know. So what 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 Parentline does is I mean you know uh, the calls in terms of specifically anger and aggression uh, rose twenty seven percent in the nine in the first nine months of this year. Um, as I say, so there you know Parentline takes calls on all any and all parenting issues you know from anxiety, school refusal, other school related issues, you know social media usage, loneliness, and isolation. Um, so any and all parenting issues, but 
specific the calls that specifically would mention the reason for the call as being anger um, or aggression or you know abusive behaviour, they specifically rose twenty seven percent this year. And what we do is so that that's where that's how we we are. Um, that's where our figures are coming from. So, you know, and what ParentLine does is, you know, we, we have um, a particular program, the Nonviolent Resistance Program, that um, that we offer parents uh, to support them when they're experiencing this aggression. You know, it, it's a program that helps the parent to take action to, to end that abusive behaviour. It's kind of, it's, I suppose, basically, it's a program that tries to change the parent's reaction mm-hmm. um to the violence and, and to the aggression and, you know, tries to kind of repair the, the relationship and end the behaviour. Screaming matches and the slamming of doors is a normal part of of having teenagers. I know I, I both had one, mm-hmm. have, teen, have had teenagers and I was one myself as we all were. Screaming matches with your parents and the slamming of doors is a normal thing. At what point does it become a problem? I think it becomes a problem when the parent feels fearful or afraid of their child, you know, in their own home. I mean, you know, I think the problem is that it can be a a difficult situation can escalate very quickly and get out of hand if the irritation and the anger isn't handled. Um, And again, that's why that's why I'm saying that we have this specific program that is all about changing the response of the parent to that particular behaviour to try and de-escalate what's going on and try and end the behaviour pattern and to change the way that the parent deals with the violence and the aggression because unfortunately sometimes it is the parent's reaction to that, to you know, to, to whatever's going on in the house that actually kind of manages to escalate what's going on. Yeah. It, can, it can fuel it rather than try to alleviate it. Absolutely, you know, the, the, the reaction can't be so, you know, if you change the response you know, again, it can help to end that kind of behaviour and, and to start repairing the relationship and to kind of t- and to de-escalate, you know, what can be a very difficult situation and a situation that is about to get out of hand. What are there or are there common causes for this aggression? Well, you know, I mean, I suppose, you know, we're, we're linking some a lot of the increase to the pandemic. Now, obviously, when I'm saying linking it, it's not solely because of the, the, the pandemic and that, you know, I mean, these are issues that are... Have been and, and you know are bubbling underneath all the time, and there has always been, you know, this type of behaviour from um, teenagers primarily um, to to their parents. Um, but I suppose one of the effects of COVID nineteen and the subsequent lockdown restrictions has been that you know families are forced to spend more time with each other than they usually would, and this has um, escalated or maybe just forced some of that behaviour to, to surface more than we would have seen in the past. But, you know, I mean, it, it's, you know, it, it, I mean, that is the way, you know, I, I mean, I think, you know, teenagers particularly, I mean, you know, they're going through a huge hormonal change and, and you know, change in, in terms of how their relationships are developing, you know, with their parents and with their friends. Mm. So, you know, I mean, young people get it, you know, I mean, I, you, there has to be a lot of sympathy for the young people as well. I mean, I know, obviously, they're, they're not handling it correctly. If they are, um, you know, if they are, um, you know, giving their, you know, um, directing aggression or violence or anger at their parents. But, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot going on in their own heads and sometimes yeah. they don't handle it. Yeah, if, like, if someone is listening to us right now, Aileen, who, who is in that position, and we've already had one text from a person who's very 
I think, going through something with their with their teenager at the moment. Like, what can they do? How can they? How how can they? What action can they take to try to help themselves and indeed help the young person? Well, I mean, Parentline is there. You know, every day. I mean, you know, our lines are open from ten in the morning until nine in the evening. Um, and um, I, and actually, if, if you let me give up the helpline numbers, Please I will do. do. Please do. So the, the helpline numbers are oh one eight seven three three five hundred. That's oh one eight seven three three five hundred or one eight nine zero nine two seven two seven seven one eight nine zero nine two seven two seven seven. We have the most fantastic and experienced um, band of volunteers who, and they're, 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 you know, there really isn't a problem that they haven't heard. I mean, you know, I mean, the only thing that, that people have in common when they ring Parentine is that they're looking for a bit of help and looking for a bit of support and looking for a bit of guidance. And they will certainly get that if they ring our lines. But we do have, as I say, we do have this particular program, the Nonviolent Resistance Program. Um, this is a specific program that we deliver over the phone um, it, it, you know, so again, if somebody needs help and assistance with that particular program, the program can take four to six weeks to mm. to to work out to work through over the phone with one of our volunteers. You know, we'll certainly try and put that support in place. The Parentline website is an excellent source of information as well for parents who are maybe one who are maybe in the situation or wondering if they are in the situation. Mm. Um, there's a huge amount of information in there. There's testimonials from parents, and there's just a huge amount of. Um, information on what the non-violent resistance program is and what CPV, which is child to parent violence, what it actually is and what, what you know, what, what is construed by it. Um, so again, you know, I would advise anyone to go in and look at the Parent Line website. I think they'll, 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 they'll I, the one thing about it is it'll also show them that they're not on their own, that, you know, that this is something that, you know, is out there that happens to families. You know, it, it doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. I mean, yeah. sometimes... The problem isn't you, the problem isn't the child, the problem is just the problem. Is it a phase that will pass? Well, I mean, you could say it's a phase that will pass. I mean, it'll pass if it's, if it's dealt with. I mean, it might pass by itself and it may pass, but it's more likely to, to, to be corrected if it's dealt with. And, you know, we do, I mean, you know, while the programme really is there for to deal with children under the age of 18, we do have a number of parents a significant number of parents, about 10% of the parents that would ring, that would look for help in this area, are parents of adult children, you know, who who are living at home as in their, you know, their their adult children over the age of 18, you know. Yes. And, and a lot of that is because I think the, the, the figure is that there's about, about half of 18 to 29-year-olds in Ireland live with their parents. And, you know, that that's a recipe for conflict, BJ, you know, because whether the adult child is behaving disrespectfully or irresponsibly. Um, you know, and, 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 and a lot of adult children, they, they are pulling their own weight, but some aren't, you know, and parents find themselves taking responsibility for a lot of their adult children's laundry and meals and tidiness. And there can be a lot of pent-up frustration and resentment, um, mm. you know, or, or, or even worse, and, you know, and, and that can build. So as I say, so a lot of our, our you know, about 10% of the calls from parents in relation to this area are from parents who are worried about their adult about the behaviour from their adult children in their own home that is being directed towards them. You mentioned, you know, that sometimes it can lead to, and this the, the nightmare scenario, like you said, of, of a 15-year-old throwing his mother up against the refrigerator and all of that. <laughs> is there a danger that a teenager boy a teenage boy who will do that to his mother or his sister or his father will go on to do it to a life partner down the road. 
Oh, well, I, I certainly wouldn't be in a position to answer that. I mean, you know, I mean, I suppose, you know, I'm there to kind of to, to report on what we see and mm. to, to offer the supports and the information and the guidance. I certainly couldn't make any sort of a prediction okay. like that, you know, because okay. it wouldn't no, no, be my I just area. Wanted, I, fair enough. I, I, just, I just thought to myself, these, these habits start young, you know? You know, again, I, I will say, PJ. You know, the, the, the throwing your mother, the, the scenario of throwing your mother up against the fridge door. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. That is the exception rather than the rule. I mean, as okay. I say, a lot, a lot of the the the, the violent and the aggressive behaviours that we're talking about are to do with, you know, verbal abuse and manipulation right. and right. property damage and gotcha. controlling behaviours, gotcha. school refusal even, or intim- intimidation. You know, so it's a lot of that. It, it isn't always necessarily, you know, oh, yeah. a, a full-on okay. physical person, assault. Person-to-person violence. All right. Yeah. All right. Listen, I'll give out those numbers again, Aileen, and thank you very much for that. That's Aileen Hickey, the CEO of Parentline. Their numbers, if you want help, we've had a couple of texts in from people who I can't imagine anybody wanting to come on the air and talk about it, but you're more than welcome to do so if you wish. Uh, 01-87-33-500. 01-87-33-500 is one of their helplines. And the other one, now bear in mind, 1890 is a premium number. Uh, so you'll be charged for it. Is 1-890-927-277. 1-890-927-277. Or go to the website, Parentline. Dot IE. Yeah, question number eight. Natural gas from Cork, a band from Cork, had a very famous song. What is it? Oh, I don't know. Take a it's guess. A it's, Cork, it's based on a Cork uh, phrase. Very famous Cork song. Uh, what, what are me and KC? We're a pair of? Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's 96 this is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. Message here in reference to abuse by children. What I can't understand is the guards' hands are tied because of their age. All they can do is referring to Tusla. Tusla don't want to know because the child is not at risk from the parents you can't get orders from the court because they're under 18 I'm counting down the days until I can get a barring order to keep us safe that's a very stark message I hope you'll be okay I'm counting down the days until I can get a barring order to keep us safe 1850 Sandra I think you did get some help in the last couple of days for your dad, but it's been a long, hard road to get that help. Good morning. Well, long in the sense of it was urgent and it took three full days and a lot of, I might as well say, shouting and bawling to get the help. Basically, dad is in a situation where he acquired an infection last week, a urinary tract infection, is rendered him immobile because he has advanced dementia and infections can have a very sudden dramatic effect on the brain and body, unfortunately. 
And he like he was walking Tuesday morning as normal with us. Now he walks assisted, but he was walking. He was mobile. And by seven o'clock Tuesday night, he couldn't even stand up, not mm-hmm. even with assistance. So he was brought by ambulance to CUH. They diagnosed him. They treated him. And because he wasn't extremely sick in danger of sepsis or anything, and with the risk of COVID, they thought it's better to discharge him back home. Now, I was in there with him because he needs a a voice, basically, because he's nonverbal at all times. Um, And I was happy to have him discharged back home. I had absolutely no difficulty with that um, because he's in a safer environment and also it's familiar to him. So it causes less stress and upset. Um, Moving swiftly forward, on Wednesday, I rang the home health office in the HSE in Cork. And knowing Dad's condition being, you know, fully dependent, I requested that we would have immediate, urgent granting of additional home health hours and personnel. I knew that one person on their own would not be able to manage that while he was, hopefully it's a temporary situation, bait bound. Because yeah. um, I, I know that it takes two persons to roll and turn while the other washes or changes clothes. I assisted evening health because he's unfortunately doubly incontinent. So he has to have his incontinence pads changed. Mm. I requested evening health that we could do that because my mum is nearly 73. And like I help her, but I could roll that, but she wouldn't be able to do the physical lifting, pulling and hauling of changing clothes and stuff while I would hold him in one direction. Yeah. Has, has he any awareness of what's going none, none, no. none whatsoever. He's completely so unaware. And what age is he, Sandra? He's only 71. Oh, my God. Yes, and he was diagnosed at age 66. He is, like, he's a very happy person and he's very comfortable. He's actually, believe it or not, very healthy physically um, despite his condition but unfortunately infections will bring him from say 100 down to 0 in a matter of hours I have you Um, so as I say I contacted the home health office I was told oh um, well we won't be able to organise anything and I was like what do you mean you won't be able to organise anything well you have to go through your public health nurse she has to assess it she has to authorise it has to go through the chain of management then. and I'm like, hang on a second. This is an urgent situation. And this is not something we are really, nearly requesting. So I said, fine, we'll go through the public health nurse. Now, we are very, very lucky. Our health centre here where we live, and particularly our own public health nurse, who is assigned to us, is amazing. And she's extremely supportive. In fact, she has long since been saying to us, you should apply for this, you should apply for that, you will need it. And we've been saying, no, 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 we're fine. Like, we've, we've den- I won't say denied, but we have, say, put off request, um, requesting some of the help and supports in the last couple of years that we would, in theory, have been entitled to. But Mum and I prefer to manage ourselves. Mm and keep Dad in his familiar surroundings. For, for as long as you're faces. able, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We only look for things when they become essential. 
But unfortunately, essential doesn't seem to be a word that the HSC understand. So the nurse got onto the powers that be and said, I'm authorising everything. I'm okaying it. These people are genuine. She didn't even need to come up and see that. She knew from what we were saying to her. Mm. And um, she was given the roadblocks as well. And she actually gave me the name of the top manager in charge of this particular area of home health. And I got onto his office. I spoke with his secretary. And I was being told, well, there are processes in place. And I'm like, yes those processes surely have to have a way whereby if a case is urgent and emergency, you bypass all the roadblocks and you just put people in place. Mm. Oh, no, it doesn't work like that. It was all about paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. I wasn't taking that for an answer, quite frankly, because I'm not that type of person. I don't shout and ball ordinarily I don't get cross with people I try to keep my calm I try to be professional but when it comes to my dad there's a line you do not cross with me Yeah, I can imagine and I said look what's the actual problem is it that you don't want to give it is it that you can't give it well we're short of personnel and I said fine hang on I said hang on a second I actually know a number of people um who are home health centers, I'm sure if I ring around, one of them is bound to have a slot somewhere in their calendar. I said, I can do that much homework for you if it's difficult. Oh, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. And then I said, don't you contract in private contractors to do it as well? Oh, we do, but um, they'd have to come out now. There's a process there too and assess your dad themselves and let us know then whether they have available personnel. I said, right, I'll help you. Give me the name of the agency. I'll ring them. I'll have somebody else to assess that within a matter of hours. And off we can go from there. Roadblocks again. Doesn't Couldn't work do like any that. Of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I was trying to cut through the red tape and I was trying to get around <sighs> their own processes as the word was repeatedly said to me. So I said, look... This is not going to continue. I got back onto them Thursday and I said, lads, seriously, we cannot leave dad bait bound. We cannot have a situation where mom and I cannot get him up out of bed because the longer he's left in the bed, the more the brain will die and he's more likely to forget how to be mobile at all at all. Yeah. So they were still putting the roadblocks in place our own public health nurse, I was speaking to her on a number of occasions on Thursday and she was getting more frustrated with the process than I was, I think, at the end of the day. We were also on to our occupational therapist, who again is a lovely lady, very supportive. She got a full hoist delivered to us, but that is only of limited use um, in the sense that the whole objective was to be able to get people in place mm. for a while in the mornings and a while in the evenings to change that. The hoist was of no use to mum and me because we can't even operate it. Yes. So roll swiftly forward onto Friday, and I was on the phone constantly again about this, and eventually I let a, a, a minor nuclear bomb drop, you might as well say. I told them that I'm a professional person in a certain profession, I actually let it be known that I was in the legal profession. And I told them that there are ways and means around every process. Yeah. 
And I said, look, the bottom line is, I said, I know all about paperwork. I know all about having to go through steps. I know all about the fact that when those processes aren't going to get you the results that you need, you can actually do such a thing as run across, have your papers in front of you, talk to a judge, and perhaps get an injunction. Right. Yeah. The word injunction works magic. That shifted them. That shifted them. About four o'clock on Friday, I got word that we had been approved. And by five o'clock, not only had we been approved, but there was two ladies from a private agency arriving to us on Saturday morning. Magically, all the processes were gone at this stage. They were gone. They were gone. They were, going well to be there, they were going to be there Saturday evening. They were also going to be there on Sunday, which I had been told over the phone on Wednesday and Thursday that there was absolutely no way on this heavenly planet <laughs> could home health be given on a Sunday, even though I know of people who have it. Yes, yes. Um, and we also have it for the evenings at 5pm. Now the oh, And they've doubled up the, the people as well for the mornings. The only problem is they've only given it to us for two weeks. Right. So there's a big question mark over it. Now the bottom line is, Dad is recovering from his infection. Good. We can already see some slight improvements in him. He, If he continues to recover on the current path, will become mobile with assistance again. That's our objective. Mum and I will work on job basic, getting him to stand off off his seat um, over the next couple of days, which will then progress to steps. We have the assistance of a lift and rise chair that we purchased ourselves to help us with that process. We have his wheelchair. We have a walking aid. We have everything for him. Mm. It's a case of taking it slowly, step by step. But going forward in the mornings on Saturdays and Sundays, mum with her age, and she also has arthritis, is not able to manage anymore to get dad up out of bed on her own and wash him on her own on a Saturday and Sunday morning. It really shouldn't be this hard, should it? It should not be this hard. I am sick to the teeth of having to fight and roar and shout for one of a better term, even though I don't physically roar and shout. But begging, I'm begging, I'm crawling on my hands and knees for assistance from my dad. And it breaks my heart because he worked from the age of 13, was never, ever, ever out sick until he got a stroke at 56 years of age. I know. Pay his taxes. You've done a phenomenal few days work on his behalf and I've no doubt you do it all again if you have to the big question is you don't want to have to I don't want to have to and it amazes me when there was elections on earlier this year and we mentioned to the politicians at the door and um, there seems to be a problem with home health because we had no hours at that stage and dad had only been discharged from hospital having nearly passed away um, because he acquired sep- sepsis and was in full septic shock Somehow or other, six weeks later, we brought him home. He is some strong man. Like I'll it. put it this way. He ain't going anywhere soon well, well, in well, his if own he's, mind. If he's given you the spirit you showed, 
He's a he's a tough he's a tough man. And so, he was always a fighter. I'd say he was. I'd say he was. A and highly the, intelligent man. The, 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 app, the apple had... didn't fall far from that tree, Sandra. <laughs> I tell you, you. good thank good you. on you, good on you for. But it's just crazy that it needs to be so difficult. Sandra, thank you very much, and I wish I wish him well. In, in, in as well as he can be and the same to your mom because it's terrible to see people going through that it doesn't have to be that hard surely 185715996 thank you Sandra Cork's 96 FM's 10k toy giveaway is here Listen to Casey and Ross in the morning and all day long for your chance to win for your chance to win with Johnson and Parrott, Douglas Bishopstown and Mahon Point. Put 2020 behind you and drive into 2021. Always open at jpmg.ie. Only on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. We've had a lot of talk, we were talking about it on Friday, about travel rules uh, during COVID-19 restrictions. You'll remember the Taoiseach causing ructions the other day by telling people not to be booking trips home for Christmas at this stage. And it's kind of been doubled down on over the weekend by others saying now is not the time to be booking trips. But travel in general in the height of this pandemic is, is adding to the problem and particularly the problem of grief. Gillian, good morning to you. Hi PJ, how are you? Thanks good. for having me on. Not at all. You've had um, personal experience of this. I have, yeah. Um, recently, my mother-in-law, now my husband is from Belarus actually, and my mother-in-law had been very ill. She had a heart attack and she had been, she was in ICU. Right. And I suppose my husband was adamant to get home because he his dad died two years ago and he never got home on time. Okay. And I suppose he was ready to do anything to get on a plane to be next to his mother, you know. Of course. Yeah. And I mean, it was very difficult, to be honest. I mean, realistically, I mean, with the flights, we were booking, I, we spent, I'd say, in the bones of a half a day booking flights and then you'd book them and you get an hour later, you'd have a cancellation in your email again. Yeah. So I'd say we went through at least, I'd say, three to four times before we could actually get a flight back for him to get home, you know, to be with her. And did he um, get back? He did. He did. He got back eventually. All right. You know, he went through. He went to through Dublin, Amsterdam, and Amsterdam to Minsk because the problem is with Belarus. There's political, as you probably have heard, a lot of yeah. political things going on, and there's no countries like the border countries. You're not allowed to literally fly into Poland, for instance, and flights from Poland to Belarus. Yeah. That's the way it works because they, you have to dr- fly directly into their country. Yeah. So it's just a bit harder, really, you know, to get home at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and in what way do you blame the government for this? I blame the government because I feel that they're dictating to us and they're telling us what we can and can't do. I feel it's not about COVID anymore, PJ, because I feel all our rights are being chipped away. I mm. mean, we should have we have rights as citizens. I mean, in our constitution, rights we have a right to travel. We have several different rights, you know, mm. and everything is being chipped away. They're literally stopping families from being together. They're warning people not to book flights for Christmas. Mm. They're constantly. But is it not? Us. Is it not 
a public health emergency and are they not allowed or are they not required to put the public health of the of the nation before individuals? Well, PJ, the way it's gone now, it's getting to the stage that it's not about COVID anymore. It's about control. It's about dictatorship. I mean, everything is being literally taken away from people. It's not about the COVID anymore. Well, while I appreciate your own situation and how difficult it was and, 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 and all of that, what else is being taken away? Like, my husband had to close his business as well recently. Right. And, like, in our, as I was saying, like, realistically, our right to, to earn a living is being taken away from us. Like, all of the businesses, small businesses especially, they're all after being destroyed. Like, I mean, everything had to be closed down. People's livelihoods, they work, like, who, people who have worked hard for their livelihoods, um, BJ, and, like, it's all being literally, for, you're but, forced to close down. But we have know? thousands of people sick and, and 2,000 people dead. there's thousands of people, there's thousands of people with cancer, there's thousands of people with, committing suicide. It's happening. There's all other issues that are not, they're literally put to one side. So what would you suggest you know? we do? I think we should get on with it and I think the government should stop dictating to us. We have to live with this but, virus. But you do realise that if we got on with it, Gillian, and just opened up and got on with it, that our health service would be overwhelmed in a fortnight? Well, that's the government's problem, isn't it? I mean, realistically, they're, they're, we were held to ransom here, like PJ. I mean, to be honest, like we're literally being held here to ransom because we are literally healthy people, never in the history of the state, of healthy people being quarantined, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, but if it's you look crazy. at if you look at Australia and New Zealand in particular, both of those countries, people have their lives back. There was a rugby match in New Zealand on Saturday. There was thirty five thousand people at it because yes. they did the right things. Well, I'm looking at Belarus, and Belarus has opened, and they didn't have no lockdown. Is Everything has opened. No. And have they cases? They have cases, but the problem with the cases, what people aren't realizing, is. The, like they don't test just by a PCR test because of the inaccuracy in it. Like, well, it's the, be, gold, you know, it's, it's the gold international standard for testing for these it's things. It's not. Like, to be honest, it, like all the PCR testing, the cycle should be 24. They're modifying it for up to 40. Where did you hear that? I've researched. Where? I mean, there's several scientists saying it. There's several doctors coming out about the PCR testing. Even in Belarus, PJ, they're not going by the PCR. They're can, going it by extreme, It can be extremely accurate and it can give a false positive. That is a, that is, that is a fact. If the, if the cycle is done over 24, which in Ireland it's done up to 40. Mm. And that's the problem. There's people there Where did you tested. read that? Where did you see that? Oh, I've done loads of research where? on PCR where? testing. Where? 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 Everywhere, from doctors to scientists what to immunologists. What doctors? Oh, Dr. Debrun is one doctor, for instance. Right. There's another doctor. He's actually after making. There's a new. I don't know if you've heard about. It, there's a new doctor alliance after being set up. I've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah. Seen and it. Jack Lambert is actually the Professor Lambert. I've spoken um, to Jack Lambert many times. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but he's, he's not saying it. stop PCR testing. There's a lot. Nobody's saying stop it. They're saying the cycle is the problem with the PCR yeah, maybe testing. Maybe it's a bit over accurate, perhaps. It, it should be 24 and it's 40, yeah. up to 40. Here's a caller that says, at 76, could I say to Gillian that staying alive is a lot more important to me than any business? We will all hit hardship in life, but if we're not alive to see the good, what good is it? But, but okay, for instance, there is no quality in life for people at the moment, right? Everybody is being locked into their houses within five kilometres 
we're being prisoners. That's not but a the life. numbers That's are coming down living. because we're doing that. Yeah, but when you open up, they're going to go back up again, you, and it's going to keep going on. Okay, if you're you hold tight, if you, if you hold tight enough, you see, it will come down and, and stay down. Do you know what, Gillian? It's good to talk to you. I am glad that your husband managed to get back to Belarus to see his mom. Appreciate that you don't agree with the with the restrictions that are there, but they are the standard the world over, and it's working in other places because they're doing it right. Listen, thank you, Gillian. 1850 If anybody wants to agree or disagree, we'll come back to it tomorrow because I want to get to this before I finish today. Young girl from Cork will be joining uh, the biggest stars in Ireland, Imelda May, Lisa Hannigan and others on a Christmas charity singles. You will remember the wonderful Irish Women in Harmony cover of a Cranberry song a few months ago. We played it to death here on Cork's 96 FM. Well, young Aoife Delaney has been selected to take part in their Christmas single, which is in the production works at the moment. And I have been catching up with Aoife and her mum. So I have Aoife with me and and her mum, Aideen, at the end of this Zoom line. Aoife, starting with you, exciting to be involved in a project like this. We all know how good the, the Cranberries cover version was, and you're a Cranberries fan anyway. How did you get involved? Well, I was inside in school one day and my teacher, my music teacher came in, Miss O'Brien, Kelsey O'Brien, and she says, Irish Women in Harmony are looking for 12-year-olds, like 12 to 18, 12-year-olds to like perform as like a choir, as like backup singers for their Christmas single. Yeah. And then I was saying, sure, why not go through for it? It would be fun. And then I just sent in a video of myself singing Dreams by the Cranberries and they came back and says, you're a semi-finalist. Yay, well done, congratulations. And I was like, wow, this is unbelievable because I wasn't expecting it. Like, And then they were like, you just have to send in another video. And then I sent in another video and they were like, congratulations, you're one of the 18 all over Ireland out of thousands to be true to the finals. So like, congratulations and whatever, we're delighted to have you. And I, it was like, it was so unbelievable. And I just thought the excitement is just... Fierce excitement at home, Mum, was there? Fierce excitement. Now, she's singing all her whole life, like even before she could talk. But it was, um, we were watching, waiting for the news to come in and it was, we were gobsmacked. I, we actually, I, first time in my life, I was lost for words anyway. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And it's lovely for the school actually because her music teacher, it's her first year as a teacher in the school as well. So Brilliant. Eve is a first year and the teacher's a first year. So it was lovely. It's, it's lovely. It's it's. I suppose it's a bit of good news and all the bad news we're hearing lately. Ab- really. Absolutely. The sad part is you won't get to meet them because of yeah. COVID. You've got, how are you going to record your, your part? Well, I had to send in, a cl- they gave me a clip of the song and it was just like a falala thing. So we don't actually know what the song <laughs> A falala thing. falala. And they sent me on like a falala and then I, sa- I sang that and sent it through. And you were like, they were, they said, that's grand. Just do a face recording now of yourself in a Christmas jumper. And that will be put into the video then. Right. But I already had the recording of me singing. So I just had to kind of lip sync as well to the song. So, yeah. And then I just sent that in. They were like, that's grand. We'll just use that. So it's going to be kind of like a music video, like a Zoom. Right. Thing. So there'll be a load of squares on screen yeah. with, with all of you in the choir. Yeah. When, when are you doing it all or is it done? 
Um, well, I sent my bid in, so now I don't know what to do because they didn't send anything else on, so I just have to wait, I'd say, for the song to come out. So they, they've just gone into production now? Yeah. When do you yeah. hope to hear the finished product or see the finished product? Um, by the end of November, start of December, hopefully. You're 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 very casual and cool about this. Like it's this this is your appearing on a choir with some of the biggest stars in Irish music at twelve years of age. And they, oh yeah, you know, cool. Yeah. Out. <laughs> That's he followed. Yeah, it takes everything in our stride. Never can't get her excited. <laughs> I'm the worst person for reactions that you could ever meet in your life. Yeah, it takes it in her stride. It's I suppose she's I suppose she's singing all her life. Like yeah. we're. In, like in the church, she sings every Saturday night at mass. Like, well, we're obviously because of COVID, that's not happening. And the church choir on a Sunday morning and in primary school with the Scream Out School Choir, she sang lots of things with them and sang for Lord Mayors. And so I suppose it's kind of, it, she just takes an stride. I think she thinks everybody, since she was very small, that everybody sings. Yeah. Well, of course, like you're from a musical family yourself, aren't you? Yeah, but we all sing and we do, yeah. My dad sings, my mum sings, my sister's in St. Patrick's Choir. My niece is Saoirse, she's in St. Finbar's Cathedral Choir. So my husband Vince and myself and Aoife, we're all in the Lock Choir. So I suppose we're all choirs all our lives, really, and singing and, you know, and we, as I said, we probably should be around in nursing homes, because we always do the nursing homes as yeah. well. And, and Aoife's been coming along there since she's been very small. But with COVID, of course, we can't visit them either. No, it's just... It's been a mad kind of year for that kind of thing. It all got shut down on us, really, you know, but and it's nice to give back to sometimes, you know. Yeah. What's it like being back in school, Aoife? Um, I don't know. She loves it. <laughs> yeah, I, I know your mum is there now, but be honest, all right? <laughs> um, it's okay. It's fun with all the people and whatever, and it's fun to be back and see what it's like. But I just don't really like school that much. The staying safe bit is that hard to do? Minding and all the sanitizing and all that. Yeah, very hard. Like there, we're trying to like because it's only our first year in the school, and like I went up to the, the I went to presentation Valentine on my own, so I didn't know anyone, and it's hard mm. for us to have a conversation and get to know each other when they're like two meter distance yeah you can hardly make friends like when you're shouting across the yard at someone like yeah yeah like hello (laughs) (laughs) come here you're great crack you really are (laughs) listen I wish you the best of luck with the single I can't wait to hear it when you get it send it to us and we'll give it we'll give it because we did play Irish Women in Harmony We we played the single during the summer uh, here on 96 VM. So hopefully when we get this Christmas single, we'll give it a spin. At least we'll give it a spin on the programme. So we can we'll maybe, maybe pick you out from the crowd, will we? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be the one waving mad on the video. <laughs> Listen, lovely talking to you and and take care and the best of luck when it comes out. Brilliant. Thanks, Thanks PJ. Is it too early to say happy Christmas? Now's Very the chance. Happy Christmas, Merry everyone. Christmas. <laughs> it's only six weeks, like. Yeah. Well, don't judge me. My Christmas tree is off. Don't judge me. That's okay. I don't judge you. I'm just jealous. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. God bless you, too. See you. Bye, PJ. Bye. Bye. Aideen and her mum are born entertainers, the two of them. Christmas tree up already. Yeah, all the Christmas songs will be coming up soon. They're, in fact, they're up already. They're up already because Cork's 96 Miss is back. It's back on the app. It's back on the website. Cork's 96 plus all your favourite Christmas tunes around the clock seven days a week from now till after Christmas. 
And I guess that one might well be in there too. That's it for today. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Katie O'Keefe. A lot of people infuriated by Gillian. She's one selfish woman. At least she's with her loved ones. We can't see my mother, who's very unwell with a long-term illness. We haven't seen her in seven weeks. Selfish, selfish people. Don't contact me as I'm too upset listening to her. But someone agrees. You cut her off too soon. We're here in this world to live and die. This is not living. This is existing. We can take this one up if you want to in the morning, just after nine.